Over at the Never Heard of It podcast, we've spent the last four years criticizing people's films and talking about how they could have made them better. Well, you know what? Now it's time to put your money where our mouth is. That's right. The Never Heard of It podcast and Night Shift Radio are making a movie. We are making a brand new sci-fi thriller called Somnium. Somnium is the tale of a brand new app, something kind of like TikTok, where people are able to watch others' dreams, everyone's dreams, anonymously across the world. However, our main character, Adam, starts to see dreams that look all too familiar, including dreams of somebody murdering him. So the question is, who is dreaming of murdering Adam? That's the question we look to answer in our brand new film, Somnium, but we need your help. We need your help in funding so we can pay the amazing crew and the amazing cast of this brand new film. Head to nightshiftradio.com somnium. Donate what you can, and if you can't, share with 100,000 of your closest friends. Someone out there is going to be a rich weirdo that's going to want to fund this film. So again, nightshiftradio.com somnium. Thank you so much, guys. We look forward to making this movie just for you. Welcome to Latchkey Kids. I'm Sarah Sweeney. At the time of this recording, this little intro here, it's Saturday, and I'm doing a Zoom table read, my very first. It's happening in like six hours. Since productions are on hold, a lot of screenwriters are workshopping their scripts through Zoom and hiring actors like me, apparently. I'm just the narrator, just the narrator. But I'm pretty psyched. It's uh, Screen Actors Guild eligible. I don't quite even know what that means just yet, but it sure seems fancy. I've been doing voiceover for a really long time. I do a lot of internal stuff for corporations, TV and radio things once in a great while. Super exciting when that happens. I am the voice of a bunch of pharmaceutical things. Ask your doctor if anal bleeding is right for you. Yeah, that's me sometimes. Sorry. But I'm non-union. Which I'm pretty sure just means that I don't get paid as much as people who are in the union. Actually, honestly, I don't really know. Because now I'm hearing that everything in voiceover is non-union, non-union, non-union. So maybe I'm in a good place. Either way, I'm learning. And now I get to be a part of this super exciting thing through an organization that came out of COVID called the thing for awd.com if you want to look it up. Anyway, cross your fingers retroactively that I did a decent job. Other things. Christopher Plummer died yesterday. Of course, he was 91. But he was so iconic. We all know him as Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music. I mean, in previous episodes, I've made a reference to The Sound of Music. I make references to The Sound of Music all the time. That movie came out in 1965. That's next-level cultural staying power one movie ingrained in so many people's lives, so it felt kind of strange for, I mean, despite nearly a century on Earth, for him to be gone. So I'll tell you the story of when I met Christopher Plummer. In 2007, I was Angela Lansbury's personal assistant. I've brought this up in previous episodes. I was her assistant on and off for about 10 years, and we're still very good friends. We talk on the phone occasionally. She's wonderful. And in 2007, she had just finished a run of a play called Deuce by Terence McNally. And we were at a Tony's press junket. I think it was in the Marriott Marquis in Midtown Manhattan. We're just sort of going along. There's a zillion people everywhere, photographers, press, this, that, whatever. And naturally, a bunch of Broadway stars. In 2007, I was in my 20s, so I was probably wearing some super cheap dress from H&M. 
And the two of us are sort of making our way around the Marriott Marquis. Hello, David Hyde Pierce. Oh, hello, Frank Langella. Vanessa Redgrave, so good to see you. And she suddenly grabbed my hand, but sort of missed and ended up grabbing my wrist. She pulled me over to a group of people and said to me, Sarah, darling, I'd like for you to meet my good friend, Chris. And I look up and it's Christopher Plummer. I couldn't even have prepared myself for this meeting. And he shook my hand. I remember it being very smooth and cold. And he shook my hand and said, hello, in his deep baritone Christopher Plummer way. But the twist is, I was so excited to participate in this meeting that I shook his hand so hard, he winced. (laughs) And meanwhile, I'm getting choked up just by seeing him a foot from my face. So I'm simultaneously breaking his hand and trying not to cry, and he saw it all over my face and just started to laugh. It was a split second. I don't think Angela noticed any of it. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. He smiled so warmly, and that was it. It was wonderful. Boy, all right, let's start our show. I say this every time, but I had a lot of fun with Emily Flake. You'll see. You'll see. Today's Latchkey Kid is Emily Flake, cartoonist, writer, performer, teacher, illustrator, horse whisperer? (laughs) Dilettante? (laughs) If you will. You can see her work in The New Yorker, The New York Times, and a zillion other publications. She's performed stand-up here in New York and probably other places. Truly. And now she's fundraised to create a writer's residency in Pennsylvania. Hello, Emily Flake. Hi. I like how I do the opening as though we haven't just spoken for like five minutes. I know. I appreciate that artifice. (laughs) Actually, it was a really funny first couple of minutes, so I'm just going to share it with you right now. Here, let me cut and paste. Zoom has the improve your appearance button so that just, like, makes a light filter happen. And now I'm just like, oh, my 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 face. Oh, my face. Um, there it is. Yeah. Right there in all of its unfiltered glory. I look like like I've stepped out of a spray tan joint and this is not my natural op- like I will leave this room and but for whatever reason zoom zoom and zoom like platforms are like oh you're a cast member on the Jersey Shore <laughs> and uh this is not what I look like maybe it sees in something real. in you maybe it sees your inner Jersey Shore girl and it's like think- I'm gonna bring it out I think I'm I'm offended and flattered at the same time yeah. if that's a real thing <laughs> that's the mental state that I like to exist in there's a German word for it. It's something that means hot insults, like. <laughs> Schoden, Schadenfreude-esque. <laughs> also, your background is super cool. It's like you live in your art studio. Um, yeah, this is this is my quote unquote office. Um, it is, I you know, almost a year into this pandemic and I have not like cleaned my background. It's just like there's just shit back there always. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're giving out your true self. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just really authentic. I don't know if you know that about me, but I'm super authentic. You guys, hashtag blessed, because like, (laughs) I'm being me all the time. Exactly. Hashtag God bless this mess. So there's like, here's some books (laughs) and oh, this is a desktop. Emily, don't do that. I would show you more, but all the shit that's on my actual desk is also going to fall. Um, Who's the guy behind you? 
Um, that is a painting I did of my best friend Ed when we were in art school together roughly 10 million years ago. Oh, me too. I went to not art school, but 10 million years ago, I was an educated person. Um, it's really offensive to me to realize that children born after I graduated from college can now drink. That's a, <laughs> that's a real problem. <laughs> Let me segue perfectly. Um, I was reading through your stuff, and you used to have a show at the KGB bar in the East Village called Nightmares. Yes. Is this your nightmare? <laughs> no. Um... I do have a few recurring nightmares, but honestly, I, I like I like chatting, like whether it's on Zoom or with like actual meat faces. Um, but yeah, no, I miss I miss doing that show. It was it was a lot of fun. We did a few on Zoom, but then we kind of dropped off over the summer and haven't really like gotten back into it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a very cool show. I would have people up to tell me about their nightmares. Um, I did it with my friend Kat Burdick, who's an awesome comedian. And we would sort of like, you know, haplessly deconstruct their dream. Um, and then I would give them a drawing that I had made based on their dream. Um, oh my God. I didn't draw like while we were doing it because I can't like draw and talk at the same time. Um, <laughs> they would tell me their dream beforehand and then I would, I would give them a prepared piece of art. But yeah, it was super fun. I hope we get to do that again someday. <laughs> what was like the running constant dream that people would have people had in your high school a lot of teeth dreams a lot of being chased um it was it was interesting because it seems like there's a few like boilerplate templates of dreams and then some people that just go off and do their own thing so it was a really interesting mix it got kind of deep sometimes because you know it's like nightmares I think are a lot more interesting than dreams because it really shows what you're afraid of, like where your pain mm -hmm. points are. Um, and it got it got into some very interesting places with people. Hmm. I really wanted to have um, sort of a very special episode of Nightmares. Um, I have a friend who has recurring nightmares because he was in like he was walking into one of the towers on 9-11. And I was like, we should do, because we usually have like four guests. I'm like, we should have the whole show be you and like talk about this. Because that's like, there's Creepy. so many like fucked up places we could go with that. Um, yeah. Not, I mean, not to use his trauma as like my awesome <laughs> show fodder, but I thought that could no, be a really neat. interesting No, it's It's really show. cool. Yeah. It's a long time ago. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's not too soon, is it? It's I mean, Chris, we're going, on, we're going on 20 years. Yeah. Enough already. Let's dissect the dreams. Yeah. Um, I, I had a dream the other night that I was like holding hands with Macaulay Culkin, no. naturally. As and a child or a grown-up? As a grown-up, like we were we were like in the beginning stages of dating, naturally. Huh. And uh, we were in an empty department store. And then suddenly Brittany Murphy came and they were making out. And I was like, well, I can't make out with him. She's dead and that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get like dead girl germs on your no, lips. No, I don't. I don't know what that entails. He has kind of ripened into sort of like an attractive dirtbag. Yeah, totally. I saw him in Brooklyn in the before times at the Macaulay Culkin show, which is a comedy show that he has nothing to do with, but they finally were able to book him. Amazing. And it, and it was. Girl, it was. Because he just came out and was a was a dick. That's but like great. like a performative dick, if you will. Right, right. He seems to have a sense of humor about who and what he is, which I feel like is is a rare thing when you grow up 
famous, you know? I mean, he was a rich, famous child. And I feel yeah. like, you know, if if you can learn anything from children who are, like, regular entitled, it's that, like, you know, a rich, famous child is just you're asking for it. But, yeah, he seems like, I don't know, he seems like he's cool. I'm extrapolating all of this purely from, like, what I glean on the internet. He could be a monster. <laughs> I mean, he did do the movie. Mm. Party monster. Exactly. So you're in Brooklyn? I am. Does everybody live in Brooklyn but me? Uh, yes. There, there's actually no one else in the world outside of Brooklyn except you. This is why I can't get anything delivered right. Mm-hmm. It's Everyone else evaporates the minute you leave Brooklyn. Do you have my granola bars from Target? I do. They were delicious. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I hate granola. Um, uh, what the hell? <laughs> where do you live? I'm in Washington Heights. Oh, I'm nice. on the other end of the planet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy that like, you know, that I'm like, whoo, that's a that's a haul. Like we are in the same city. Um, but yeah, that is that is a long way. We're in uh, we're in Windsor Terrace, if you're familiar. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean you're stepping on a subway and you're on it for an hour no matter what you do. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um which oh, is fine because in the before times I love the subway. Yeah, I realized today, like I got so much done. Today, I realized it. We're only a year in. Today, I realized I got so much done on my commute that mm-hmm. it was like, you know, my my little special time to draft those emails and do those. Absolutely. Those very important tweets. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and uh, I'm, I sort of I have had a hankering for the subway recently, which is so we- I haven't been on the subway in like, I don't know, 10 weeks. Right. Yeah. You? No. It's an important, like, part of the humanity of, of being a New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm really, really miss, and I didn't even commute, you know, I mean, like, I've worked from home for a long-ass time, and, you know, but I, I really, like, liked, get, you know, that was my favorite part of going into the city, was just, like, you know, being on the, like, subway and people watching, and, you know, when I first moved here, it was, that was the thing that made me feel those sort of like threads of humanity to my fellow city dwellers. Right, um, right. And yeah, I, I truly, I truly miss it. Um, I've been on the subway, I believe, thrice since all of this happened. Um, wow. I, I went through a fun little uh, physical therapy jaunt for, for a couple of months in the fall. And then I was like, what am I, nothing's going to fix itself inside of like three visits. So right. just no. Yeah. So I bought a complicated shiatsu massager. Highly Ooh. recommend. Yeah. It's like a giant scarf that goes around your neck and then it it actually feels like human thumbs because it's got a warming capability. Because it's full of human thumbs. <laughs> it's made of thumbs. Uh-huh. Um, it's It's got a creepy vibe. You get in there and you're like, this feels good, but also I'm scared. Interesting. Again, that is a that is an emotional like flavor mix that I enjoy. Does you're it welcome. work? Oh, it works. Okay. I'm going to get like that recommendation from you when we're done here because I got some Look knots. Look at these shoulders. Look I got some knots I can stand getting rid of. I got one of those spiky mats that you're supposed to lie on. Like an, an ad showed up in my Instagram feed for like, it's like basically a mat of spikes that you lie on. But it was very expensive. I was like, I bet they make cheap versions of this. So I got the $20 version on Amazon. And it's just like a bunch of little plastic spikes that you lie on. And it's. I don't know. It's supposed to bring like a lot of blood to your back or something. It's pr- I probably basically just burned twenty dollars, but you know, better than burning a hundred dollars. Bringing blood to your back doesn't seem like 
<laughs> well, anyway. Um, <laughs> so you've worked from home. I was going to ask you, like, in this time, have you recognized any interesting characters in your neighborhood? But you've been working from home all along. Yeah. Do you have the Windsor Terrace characters? Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny because my daughter, one of the things that she yells at me when she's upset is like, she's like, you and daddy have been working from home forever. Nothing changed for you. Everything's different for me. This is terrible. I'm like, you have a point, but you know, go brush your fucking teeth. Um, <laughs> so character, yeah, I mean, it, it is, Windsor Terrace is basically like Mayberry plunked in the middle of Brooklyn. It is, it is like a small town surrounded by Brooklyn. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a mix of, um, it it was a real cop and fireman neighborhood, you know, for generations until as far as like, you know, like 20, 30 years ago. Um, So it's basically like cops and firemen, descendants of cops and firemen, um, artsy, fartsy folks, uh, families, and, you know, over the past few years, uh, you know, wealthy people have started to move in. Um, really, in New York, and by I know it's crazy. Huh. Who knew? Um, but yeah, a few, a few years ago, I saw a, a stoky, however you pronounce that, stroller parked outside of the restaurant we lived above, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Is it? Does it have an umlaut? I, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know if it does or not. It's S T O K K E, and those are like extremely expensive strollers. Um, oh. And yeah, I was I the minute I saw that I was like, we're we're gonna be looking at some real rent increases. Uh-huh. Oh I don't I don't have my finger on the pulse of uh, stroller models. Uh-huh. <laughs> there is, no <laughs> but I re- but like, I feel I wish I didn't. <laughs> I live in Park Slope of the North, uh-huh. so there's just there's a coffee shop nearish my apartment that you cannot pass the sidewalk in the summer because it's just the double wides right and and the smug mommies who are like i'm so sorry but i'm gonna cut this because i'll get shot in my own neighborhood (laughs) but um but but it's fascinating like the 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 number of strollers that can be lined up in one small square area yeah yeah i um i don't miss those days of parenting at all. Um, How old is your daughter? She's eight. So she's been out of a stroller for a good long time. Um, That's good. Yeah. It really, like, I was never a big fan, honestly. I, I like, I don't know. It always felt like I was doing some sort of weird mother cosplay pushing a stroller around. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I liked that she would sleep in it. That was, that was cool. Um, but yeah, for a few years there, I had a very finely nuanced understanding of like the class markers of strollers. <laughs> and this is where I tell you, I literally got a stroller out of the trash once. <laughs> I follow the local buy nothing group mm. and it's fascinating. People will take photos of stuff that's just on the side of the road mm-hmm. and, and look out hot garbage alert. And it's, you know. A terrible looking couch that may or may not have cushions, but right. people will chime in and be like, what are the coordinates of this terrible couch? Yeah. And or stroller. So I believe you on the on the garbage stroller front. But what weirds me out is like, it's always the same people who are picking these things up. What are they doing with all this stuff? Right. <laughs> it was functional for, you know, weeks. Um uh- <laughs> But truly, as a sidebar, that like, you know, um, people throw away garbage, garbage, but people also throw away amazing 
shit in New York. Like, yeah, we, we can swear on this, right? Um, this is a family podcast. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> um, There's I, a little button that that puts an e next to this episode. Right. I'm not in charge, but that's what, how it works for adults. Um, <laughs> Adult. <laughs> um, no, people throw away like amazing things every day here. I have many pieces of furniture um, that were like put out as like, I like the sort of like placement of like, it's, I don't want this any longer, but it isn't garbage and perhaps somebody wants it. Um, yeah. Like I actually got a beautiful desk for the writer's residency um, from the garbage, which I'm hoping was actually garbage and not something somebody put out for their friend to take, but mine now. I mean, my coffee table is straight off of Carmine Street, and I think the restaurant went under. Right. They just had a bunch. Maybe they were doing a cleaning. I'm not sure, but they're down one table. It'd be hilarious if all of us trash pickers are like just thieves. We're just thieves. We just steal from people's yeah. sidewalk collections. All you petty thieves out there, let's take a break and hear about the other podcasts available from Night Shift Radio. Mindless monsters, once thought human, fill the streets. A corrupt government threatens the lives of the people it's meant to serve. This sounds a little too familiar. Is this real life? Or a video game you can play for fun? Shift Alt Q, Night Shift Radio's newest original production, is your LGBTQ centered source for creative and thoughtful discussions and news at the intersection of gaming, diversity, and community. You can expect unboxings, game reviews, let's plays, community nights, celebrations of what video games are doing right, critical conversations about where the gaming industry needs to do better, and so much more. Be the first to know when new episodes drop by following us on Twitter and Instagram at NSR Shift Alt Q. And on Twitch at Shift Alt Q to join the community. For more information about Shift-Alt-Q, visit nightshiftradio.com. I'm Michael Fight, and I'm here with a brand new show called Fight Jokes About Everything. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to bring up a brand new topic, something that's hot on the internet because because I live on the internet. And we're going to take those silly things and we're going to joke about them and we're going to, you know, talk a little bit about the history of them and talk about why the internet is such a terrible but wonderful place. So please join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for this brand new Night Shift Radio original. For more information, go to nightshiftradio.com and of course, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. I watched your stand-up um, at Littlefield, mm. and your Stitch Fix bit had me, are you sitting down? In stitches, yeah. I'll be here all week. Nice. Um, I tried them a couple of years ago. I had a similar, like, suggestive, for, for the kids at home who don't know what Stitch Fix is, do you want to give a brief explanation? It's basically a subscription service where they try to figure out your sartorial vibe and send you a box of five or six pieces that they think you might like. And then you try them on. And if you don't like them, you send them back. And if you do like them, you you buy them. And yeah, it. I only I did that for a few months. I stopped doing it because like I was like, I, there's only so many clothes I need, really. I mean, even at the time, right. I was like, I work from home and mostly in my PJs, so this is very aspirational for me. In um, your llama jammies. Exactly, yeah. Just it, They really should just be sending me five or six llama onesies at a time. Um, but And I can't tell if that kind of service is, is more or less useful in a pandemic, because it's kind of cool to have things sent to you, but also where are you going to wear it? So it's, you know, it's a real monkey's paw. I mean, I got into a really cute phase of buying dresses a couple of a couple of 
a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to be bell of the ball, dresses with pockets and change my... No, it yeah. never worked out. I am in a 12-year-old sweater <laughs> and, uh, and, and my pajamas. Nice. Hi, good morning. <laughs> but Stitch Fix was weird. It was like, we've decided you should dress like a baby. Here are your Mary Janes, even though that was not at all the the vibe I was going for. Right. It's like, here's your bib collared dress and your unicorn blouse. <laughs> Good luck. I got some like very kind of like trashy mom on girls night out blouses. Yeah. I was like, well, your stand up set was like a leather wrap jacket. I legit liked that leather wrap jacket. I still have okay, that. I shit. have the same exact one or some variation of it because I was like, oh, I like that because I own it also. I feel like there was a minute where everybody had like short jackets, not, not boleros, but kind of short with instead of any kind of zipper, it was like flaps in front. Yeah, uh, which and is totally useless. Yeah, absolutely. It's just extra fabric. It doesn't like clothes or anything, but I don't know. It was kind of a fun look. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Ah. Oh, <laughs> oh, clothes that you wear in public. <laughs> I haven't left the house since Tuesday, and I feel really comfortable with that, actually. Yeah, it's, well, it's like, cold as shit outside. It's very unpleasant. I mean, even if there wasn't a pandemic going, I'd be like, fuck outside. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's like 19 degrees. Furthering our delightful conversation on your stand-up, that one set, we totally agree on the Alexa front, that yeah. she's creepy as shit. Mm-hmm scares me because my own phone is like, were you just thinking about bounty? Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the algorithm already knows us well enough. Like I'm not giving it an intermediary to like a a humanized intermediary to like, tell it more about myself. Um, My daughter has asked several times if we can get some sort of Alexa thing. And I'm just like, absolutely not. Like Mm -hmm. I will not have a robot snitch in the house, which seems like a kind of, arbitrary hill to die on because it's like, you know, I freely give away my data to all sorts of social media platforms, but there's just something right. about the like named robot and that it's, it's, I don't know. It really, it really gives me the willies. And yeah, again, like I don't want her to have something that she can boss around. Like she should have to be, if, if something has a name, you should have to treat it politely. Weren't they doing a thing for a while that, like, kids had to say please and thank you or else it would not do the thing? Were they? They should. They absolutely should. It makes – I feel bad about Siri half the time. I must have been in a mood when I set her up because I I can only activate her if I'm like, hey, Siri. (laughs) So I could be like, la, 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 I'm cooking. Can you set a timer, Siri? And she's just – oh, here she is. She's – just kidding. (laughs) For how long? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, Sarah. I mean, I feel bad when something is like, you know, I don't like, I don't know. I I don't, I have friends who have a a Google home and her husband works for Google. So I was over there, um, this was a long time ago, and she was making dinner and she kept saying, hey, Google. And I thought she was talking to her husband, like being cute, calling him Google because he works for Google. And then I realized, I was like, she's really being like peremptory with her husband. And then I realized she's talking to the (laughs) robot. Um... So, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't, the, the, I, the whole, the whole setup just gives me the, the willies. The heebie-jeebs. Yeah. So no Alexa, no, no, hey Google. Um, I mean, I guess Siri is on my phone, but like, I don't, I don't talk to her. So she's just like curled up in my phone wondering if anyone's ever going to like say her name. <laughs> Why doesn't anyone love me? <laughs> I never get invited to parties. <laughs> um, okay. 
you're an illustrator. I am. It's true. It's true. I read about it on the internet. <laughs> Actually, I have one of your pieces um, for St. Nell's. Yay! Can you talk about St. Nell's? Because it's so magical to me. Um, I want to go there. Yes, yes. I would love to talk about St. Nell's. Um, so basically, it came out partly out of a tantrum I had Um because, you know, over the summer we went, um, we had some friends move to Rhinebeck and we went up to to see them and they had this like beautiful house, had a yard and everything. And we're, and we're driving Bastards. back and I know, sons of bitches. And, you know, I'll be, I've worked from home from a lo- for a long time, but like usually we're not all home for months at a time. And mm-hmm. I, I we're driving back and I just had this, this thing, I'm like, I don't have any time and I don't have any space and I don't have any money because I need those things to work. Um, so I just, you know, I, along with everybody else, I think, um, even in non-pandemic times, I'm like, I need some time and space to work. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so that it, that's one component of how this started. I'm really taking you on a very long walk here. I'm sorry. I should have given you a short version up front. No, I'm into it. Um and then at the same time, like all of our summer plans basically got shit canned. I had a teaching gig in Maine that went away. Um, my daughter's like camps were all closed. So um, my husband started looking for place. He's like, I just want to find a place that has an outdoor pool and is affordable. Um, and it turns out absolutely nothing upstate fit that criteria whatsoever. Everything was very packed and very crowded. What a silly goose, if I yeah. may. I mean, people went bananas. Um, upstate is over, but so he's. he's I mean, like, you gotta well, go to like Buffalo to get anything like that. Seriously, seriously. Um, I mean, you know, bless everybody who brought property upstate. Y'all are sitting pretty now. Um, but uh, so he started, you know, looking west, and this ad popped up for a, re- a restaurant, uh, a hotel in Williamsport. Um, it's like beautiful Art Deco hotel called the Genetti, and it had an outdoor pool. And mm-hmm. the numbers at that time were very low out there. Uh, and um, also because their main thing uh, is the Little League World Series, which got canceled last year, like, and usually the, the town is like really packed up for the summer because of that. Mm-hmm. Everything was wide open. It was like 69 bucks a night um, at this hotel. So we went out there and it was like empty and cheap and the pool was awesome. And we're like, oh, we're coming back. So we started going out there. Um, a fair amount over the summer, and Williamsport is um, it 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 was the lumber capital of North America for a very long oh. time, um, and it's beautiful. It's a be- small, beautiful city, and there are um, it is replete with affordable houses, <laughs> and I feel like everybody who lives in New York either has a fantasy of like starting a writer's or artist retreat and or raising goats. Um, and I feel like I would kill goats. Absolutely so yeah. like, I was like, you know, this is a place where that kind of thing would actually be possible. Um, so, but you know, we don't have what you might call a uh, disposable income. So uh, I did a Kickstarter to get the um, down payment and it worked. So we, we, put a down payment on a house and now there's a house and um, we are in the process of uh, fixing it up um, and hopefully we'll be able to. Is it a huge process to fix it up? It's not huge. It's, it doesn't have like structural issues. I mean, like we're doing stuff like painting and you know, we had the floor, we just had the floors redone 
Um, you know, because like when we when we first came to look at it, like they'd put carpet everywhere, and it's like, oh no, um, that smells after a while. It's I I honestly I just on so many levels hate wall to wall carpet. Mm. Um, and so it's like, well, what's what's under that carpet? And they're like, well, you know, the original like pine flooring. I'm like, get that shit off the floor. <laughs> um, so they took it up. <laughs> It, on the first floor, um, and would and I I think they they then hated me forever because they had like just put it down, um, but so it's like this, you know what's what's there is like the original like antique pine that they built the house with. Oh, um, that's fabulous. It's and it was like I mean heavily abused, um, but um, but yeah, there are there are guys in there right now bringing it back to life, which is amazing. I mean, that's every HGTV show where it's like, what's under this disgusting Oh, my God. Seriously. Oh, my God. It's the original. It's it's something nice that you put some garbage on top of. One thing I have learned now that I am a uh, homeowner for the first time in my life is everything is very expensive. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I'm. I'm starting to feel some like, you know, personal insight into why you do the dirtbag cheapo thing. Cause yeah. like, yeah. Um, but you know, that said, these, you know, these floors uh are are really are really pretty. <laughs> so I am I am glad that we t- had the carpet, t- well, that we took the carpet up. But um, but yeah, so basically it's all it's mostly like cosmetic stuff. Um okay. you know, knock wood, because apparently the the furnace is Acting funny, so hopefully it's not like oh, it's all cosmetic stuff except for the furnace we have to but replace. But wait, um, but uh, but yeah. So there, there is now a house, um, and the plan is to, um, you know, if everything cools out with this pandemic, um, mm-hmm. to start taking applications for it in the fall. So um, the model that we're going with is like paying a like a nominal fee to apply but not charging for the residency itself um, oh wow so um hopefully that will work. i mean basically like we're not trying to make money on this we just don't want to lose all the monies so um yeah we're just we're hoping that it like more or less covers its own nut fingers crossed we'll see mm-hmm. um that's a phrase i've always felt weird about by the way what's that oh cover the nut yeah no it's disgusting but you know it's don't, like don't that's like just it. the the phrase that means what that phrase means like, uh, like <laughs> covers the bean um yeah no that's grosser that's significantly grosser um but uh but yeah so um and you know we didn't we i looked briefly into like maybe we should do this as a nonprofit. It turns out it's very difficult to like start a nonprofit um co- uh, company and um so we did not do that we're basically just doing this whole thing by the seat of our pants um so yeah hopefully we don't fuck it up but yeah if all like goes even reasonably well um it will be a thing uh in the fall that's awesome and so i mean is your plan for yourself to be there semi regularly like would you be the headmistress of this place? I'd basically be the headmistress. You know, I'd go out, ev- like, so the way that we plan to do it is, like, have, like, a new cohort every month. And, like, you can stay for two weeks or three weeks or whatever, just as long as there's, like, some, like, days for me to go in and, like, reset the house mm-hmm. and, like, you know, greet the next group. Um, yeah. And then it's, like, and then the house is just, you know, yours to live and work in as you as you please. There's enough room for, like, if we have three people in there 
there's enough room for everybody to have like their own bedroom and like kind of writing space and everything. Um, and I've done residences, residencies, um, in like really rural areas and it's, it's nice. I like the woods fine, but I also, I like having like something around like, you know, places I can walk to and like, you know, um, and Williamsport was kind of great for that because it's like surrounded by these gorgeous mountains. So if you want to go take a walk in the woods, the woods are like right there, but it's also, Uh it's also like a small city. So you can like just walk down and like, you know, get lunch or look at people. I find, especially for comedy writing, I don't think the woods are super conducive to comedy. Like I, I need some sort of like human friction around. And I think that that's, you know, that's the utility of a, of a place like Williamsport where it's like you can get away, but you can also get that human thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, but um, so, yeah, we'll like we'll be going out there to kind of like, you know, keep it going. Um, mm-hmm. And and we'll go out for a couple of weeks, like in the summer and stuff like that ourselves. So um, but yeah. And once Little League comes back. Um, if we Airbnb it out for like when Little League is on, like that will yeah. cover the nut for, uh, for a couple months. Um, so that's, that's a good thing to have in our pockets, assuming the world gets back to any kind of semblance of normal. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is the St. Nell story. I love that. And, and, and it's called St. Nell's for a reason. Tell the kids at home. Um, Kids at Home, um, it is named after Nell Gwynn, who was a comedic actress and body lady in, like, Restoration England. And I uh, was reading, uh, I almost said an autobiography of her. She did not write her own biography. Um, And, you know, she was just, like, this kind of trailblazing, like, filthy-minded woman in, like, the 1600s who was awesome and, like, somebody I would... And she was, like, a mistress to King Charles, too, and... Um, like just, she started out as like an orange seller in the theater. Like she was like this street rat basically who rose through the ranks and became this like celebrated, um, funny lady. I'm like, that's awesome. I would want to hang out with her, um, if she hadn't lived hundreds of years ago and died in her thirties. But yeah, so it is, it is named, it is named for her. I love that. I love that. Um, I think I feel like writers residencies, I was not really aware it was a thing until which I re- I recognize that's kind of duh, but um, but not until this last administration did it seem like I'm I'm doing this thing. I'm getting away to do this thing and mm-hmm. write alone in the woods for X amount of weeks and blah, blah, blah. I mean, how do you how do you think writing changed specifically for women mm. just in this last administration of insanity right um i think it all boils down to time and space both in a physical sense and in a mental sense and Mm -hmm. you know i think the past four years um have been a real squeeze on on everybody um just in terms of like your mental and emotional bandwidth um and, you know, one thing that, that when he got into office, everyone's like, oh, I guess this will be good for comedy. I'm like, no, it won't. Like, because the absurdity of all of it outstripped satire so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And also it's like, 
it, it, it got to a point where I'm like, it, no, it is, we're fearful. It's exhausting. I haven't slept in years. Like it really, it was a whole new level of like, of, you know, what the, what the fuck. Um, and I mean, that said, it's like, you know, you, you, it, I think it kind of knocked everybody on their heels for a little bit, but you adjust and you get back and you figure out ways to, but I would never describe them as a, a comedic boon. Um, I would have, Way rather spent the past four years figuring out funny things to say about the Clinton administration. Um, yes. But, um, but yeah, we'll... Uh, and then, of course, you know, obviously the pandemic brought that to a whole other, you know, squeeze in terms of... Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's been hard on, on everybody. But, yeah, like in terms of being a writer, especially if you are at home with like a partner or children, it's like it's very hard to carve out both physical and like emotional space. Um, so even, in, even before all this, I think, you know, getting away and just being able to like really drill down on your work was useful. I mean, even besides um, residencies, every once in a while, I would like take myself, off, I would like go get myself a hotel room, you know, just like for two nights and be like, all right, I need to like drill the fuck down on, on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's like a galaxy of of writers and artist retreats out there, like from tiny things to huge things like Yaddo or McDowell or like, you know, or like things where it's basically like a house or things where it's like an institution. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I um, I I really I love that there is a whole like that so many things are available like and and, you know, things that have specific focuses or specific niches. Um, uh, and yeah, there's, there's stuff, there's stuff out there. There's Sorry, stuff. that just like petered out <laughs> stuff. Stuff. I applied for writer camp with Barrel House mm-hmm. and, and it was before the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm going to go to camp this summer. This is so exciting. Uh-huh. And then of course there was a zillion emails of like we're grappling with what to do and we don't know and bear with us and blah blah and I'm like I'm not going to writer camp oh. this summer. <laughs> I just like the concept of writer camp. Uh, yeah. No, everybody that, loves camp. Everybody loves camp and you know and uh, like just being able to take yourself out of your ordinary life mm-hmm. like just to be on different tracks for a little bit I think is is huge in terms of any kind of creative work. Exactly. I mean, over the uh, my day job, we had about two ish weeks off for the holidays, mm. and I came back and I'm like, oh, I can actually complete things in a really quick clip because yeah. I've had two weeks to think about. Well, think about I got to paint this ceiling. I got to <laughs> deal with this thing in my apartment. You know, yeah. dumb stuff that's been on my mind for the last eleven months. But yeah, yeah, no, that just, break was yeah, great. That reset means a lot. Yeah. So, um, as an illustrator, I'm curious, I'm curious how you came to, I mean, you, you obviously went to school for it, but your New Yorker stuff is unbelievable. And, and I am the owner of one of your prints because of St. Nell. And, um, thank Thank you. you. Thank you. And, um, (laughs) yeah, you're very welcome. Um, so I'm wondering like at one point, at what point were you like, oh, this is a job. Um, so I, you're right. I did go to school. I went to school for illustration. Um, and I basically had, you know, I worked various stage. Of, I, so I graduated in 1999 cause I'm a bazillion years old. Um, and I worked various, um, 
day jobs uh, from waitressing to um, record distributing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I moved to New York in 2004. Um, I, cause I, where are you from? I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Um, oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> 91. Yeah. The Good insurance capital 91. of the world. Uh, I have a friend from home who calls Hartford, um, America's filing cabinet, which is, um, one of the funniest things. Uh, and then I went to school in Baltimore in Baltimore. And then I lived in Chicago for four years. So, mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was really, I liked Chicago. Um, but I, I just felt like kind of like I was spinning my wheels out there. Like I was not such a bright light that people were going to like find me no matter where I was. Um, and, you know, I was getting freelance work here and there, but it was not enough to, to live on. And mm. I kind of had this like this sort of midlife crisis, quarter life crisis, whatever, where I was like, I if I don't get out of here, I'm going to die here someday, never having done anything. So I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to move to New York and really try to, like, make a go of this. And um, that kind of turned things around fairly quickly. Like, within a year and a half, um, I was getting enough freelance work to live on it. Um, wow. So that made a huge... And, I mean, obviously, this was kind of a different time in terms of how you get work. And, I mean, this was pre-social media in any realistic way. You know, I had a, I had an Angel Fire website for my portfolio. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, being, being somewhere physical really made a big difference in terms of like, just, you know, I would go, I would go to like illustrator functions and, you know, that kind of thing and that, and like in-person portfolio days. And that made a big difference. Um, I was already doing um, a cartoon for, uh, called Lulu 8-Ball for Alt Weeklies. Um, mm -hmm. and I was writing here and there. Um, so I already, I kind of had like the beginnings of this, like doing a bunch of things, thing happening. Um, and then when I moved to New York, um, I started going to, uh, to comedy shows and, um, I started doing like, you know, before I moved to New York, um, John Hodgman asked me to come out and do a show called uh, Little Great Books, which was basically like a variety show um, that happened at, Galap at Galapagos in Brooklyn. And I went and I did that. I was like, this is amazing. I did basically like a PowerPoint presentation of like a, a story that I'd written. And that was like the first time I was like, I like this. I like being on a stage. I like this whole vibe. So I, I started doing more of that um, when I moved to New York and... Um, and really felt like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm I'm really enjoying this. Um, you found your spot. Yeah, yeah. So that um, that was, like, another piece in, that sort of, like, added into the vortex of what it is I do. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, what, so when I first moved here, I worked for um, a gay alternative news weekly called The Blade that I think no longer exists. Um, I remember this, seeing that in the, in right, the little containers in the little on the boxes. street. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I started, um, I got a job uh, selling ad space for them and I was terrible at it. And right as they were about to take me off salary and put me on commission, like, and if I was just earning commission, I would have died immediately. I made like no money. Um, I got a call from a company called Caroline, which is a record distributor. And I worked at a record distributor in Chicago called Carrot Top. 
And then mm-hmm. I get this call from Caroline, like, hey, we, you know, your boss, your old boss sent us your resume um, and recommends you highly. Would you like to come in and inter- interview for this job? I was like, sure. Wow. <laughs> Um, which God bless my old boss, Patrick Monaghan. He is still a dear friend. And I guess he just like randomly sent my resume to places he thought should hire me. And it's <laughs> unbelievable. I know. Who I does know. That? I don't know. But I was like, Patrick, like, like God damn it. <laughs> so I got this job at Caroline, um, and which is where I met my now husband. Um, mm-hmm. And I worked there for about a year, year and a half. Um, and what what I would what I started to do is I would put away all my Caroline money and just try to live off what I was making uh, freelancing. Wow. Um, so after about like you know I started doing that you know somewhere along the line of my Caroline tenure and about like after six or eight months of that, I was like, I think I can make a go of this and I have like a little pad of money saved up. Um, so I quit there in 2006 and I have been, um, broke ever since. (laughs) 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 But yeah, that was my last foray into like a for realsies, like, like day job. That's incredible. I mean, are you, are you constantly busting? Well, at this point you're established, but you had to have had a portion of time that you're just constantly busting your ass like here's my angel fire portfolio can you check it out please <laughs> um thank you for calling me established um that um I, I i don't know if anyone ever feels established i'm just like oh god oh god oh god like um yeah i think there's um like i think there is always uh, there, the the hustle is it just changes shape i don't think it ever really ends um mm. You know, when I first started out, I would go to like um, a newsstand or Barnes and Noble or whatever and look at the masthead of every mag. I would go through every magazine, see how much illustration they used, write down their like a look at their masthead, see who the art director was, write down names, if they had contact information, et cetera, et cetera. I would just go and do that for hours um, and I would send in like postcards and promo pieces and everything. And I would call and see if they had portfolio review days. Cause in, in those times, a lot of people did. They were like, yeah, people come in on Tuesdays or Wednesdays and show their portfolio. Um, and this was when I was a lot more focused on just straight up being an illustrator, which at this point, straight illustration is, is a kind of a small percentage of what I do for money. Most of it is writing and comics. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, a lot less just like here is an article illustrated. Yeah. Yeah, you just had a book come out last year. I did, a book that became immediately irrelevant because the book was called um, That Was Awkward, The Art and Etiquette of the Awkward Hug. Yes. And that came in out in October 2019. And like five months later, nobody could hug anybody. So I read it and immediately held my heart on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's an it's a it's a it's a relic. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that it will become I hope someday that we like that's our problem with hugging is that it's awkward and not that it's potentially deadly. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so, you know, that was kind of what I did then. And then like, you know, over the years, that's kind of um, in, it changed into like a pitch game, basically, like, you know, pitching as much stuff as possible um, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to like keep a web and social presence alive, you know, to like be 
visible as whatever whatever it is that I do. Um, right. And, you know, obviously in the before times, like doing nightmares and uh and I I had a parenting comedy showcase with Sophia Eisenberg called Shit Show. And I mean like again, that was something that like I liked and could hustle myself, you know. I like like booking and and um and promoting and like producing a show. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, it's all like there are many, many ways to take initiative as somebody who works for themselves. And um, it for just, sure. it, but you never have, you, I don't know if you really get to a point where you can like stop taking initiative. I don't think, I mean, I do voiceover on the side and I'm always like, you know, searching through previous clients from years ago of like, you know, boring diabetes insulin shot that I've uh-huh. voiced. And it's like, hey, just a reminder, I exist. What's up? But um, you do have such like a smooth and buttery voice. Like it's like thank you. And you sound authoritative. Like I want to. I want to buy AstraZeneca from you. And you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like in looking through your illustrate your work, you you have such a way of conveying like frustration, anxiety, and awkwardness. Like just in a subtle facial expression in the in the people you create. Like, where do you get that from? Um, that that really means a lot to hear, actually, um, because I am very, I think my biggest sort of, like, piece of baggage in terms of of what I do is that I don't like the way I draw. Like, no? I, I, like, drawing is a constant exercise in heartbreak for me because I will never be as good as... I, as I want to be, or the people that I, like, you know, the people that I truly admire, I'm just like, I don't even know how the fuck you did that. Like, um, but yeah, but I am, I am definitely not like a maximalist in terms of, in terms of, um, how I draw. Um, I, even when I was in art school, I did like a lot of like, you know, very, very simple drawings. And I, I, I liked being able to convey, a lot with as little information as as possible. So I think that kind of percolates through um, through my work even even now. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't you know I don't I don't draw like big you know my 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 I'm not like a big actor. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So so yeah, um, I don't. That might just be because I grew up in New England. I don't know. <laughs> I'm from Rhode Island. I, I completely identify. Nice. Oh, cool. We're in Rhode Island. Cranston. Nice. We grew yeah. up going to Musquamacit. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I love Musquamacit. Um, and I went um, uh, a couple years ago. I took my daughter there, um, and my sister lives in Massachusetts. And we're like, let's meet in Musquamacit. And it's, it was the first time I'd been there since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And like the uh, the water slides were still there. And everything was like exactly as I remembered it, but smaller because, like, you know, I'm like you're a big person I'm now a big versus person now. when you were eight. Yeah, but yeah. No, I I love that place so much. Apparently, the um, water slides have shut down not because of COVID, but because they're just like done running the water slides. But like, I'm really glad I got one last shot at those water slides because they were amazing. What I, what I love about Rhode Island, feel, there's a whole secret language, like Mesquamacit. Spell mm-hmm. that real fast. Go ahead. Yeah. No. <laughs> I had a friend a long time ago who's like, I don't like going to places that I can't pronounce. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, you're not allowed in Rhode Island then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or really anywhere 
in New England. I like to watch people try to pronounce Worcester. Oh, Worcester. Worcester. Fucking Worcester. Well, I've asked you all the things. All the things. You have all the information now. I know everything about you. (laughs) You can reconstruct Um, me from scratch. (laughs) So we'll move on to the lightning round. So this is called Latchkey Kids because we're all at home left to our own devices without any of adult supervision. Um, So why not make a podcast? Yay! Um, I had to explain to my daughter what a latchkey... She was like, what podcast are you on? It's like, it's called Latchkey Kids. I had to explain to her what a latchkey kid was. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's not me. I'm like, no. I'm like, I was a latchkey kid. And she's like, you were? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I had a key to my house. And like, I mean, it was the 80s. Like, everybody was a latchkey kid. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Did you find growing up in, in Connecticut, I don't know if this was a New England thing or an 80s thing, but it seemed like in the 80s, when I was a kid, everyone was getting kidnapped and brutally murdered. Is that just me? I rarely got kidnapped or brutally murdered. Um, um, No, I think there was a certain... um, I don't actually remember a lot of, like, hysteria about that. I mean, of course, there were, like, the, you know, the kids on the milk carton and everything like that. But um, there was very much a sense of, you know, like, of... There was still a sense of, like, you know, you you kind of looked after yourself. You know, like, I, you know, I walked to school by myself like, you know, in first, second grade, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, our town was, you know, it, it's a suburb of Hartford. So it's, it was no, it was no more like dangerous than any other you know place, but it wasn't like everybody had an eye on you or anything like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really remember people worrying about. <laughs> so just me. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And that lives to, with me to this day. Right, right. I think people are way, are very, like, are way more scared about that now, even though there are, very, like, far fewer, like, instances of abduction and child murder. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm talking out of my ass here, but this as I understand it, most Gee. child abductions and murders happen from the family, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the notify NYC thing, and anytime there's a kid that's gone missing, it's like, She's with her dad. Yeah. It's like, okay. okay. Yeah. You know, when I grew up, it was the stranger outside. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, so few people actually hide in bushes waiting for a child to happen by. Uh, Which is really like blowing up my world because that's what I grew up on. uh, (laughs) So we'll move on to the lightning round. As a latchkey kid, I'm going to say a thing and you say whatever resonates in your brain out of your mouth. Okay. Are we ready? ready? Yes. Cereal. Mm. I simultaneously got the word killer and an image of um, that cereal that had the frog on the front, probably because we were just talking about diggums. Diggums? I think that's what they were called. Um, Diggums? Not snap pop. The green frog? The green frog. Maybe the frog's name was Diggum? God damn it. Oh. Now I have to look it up. But like. They all um, had a name. We don't have like little cute characters anymore. Or maybe I just don't have kids. Oh, Honey Smacks. You're right. But the, yeah, honey the smack. frog, the frog was the Diggum frog and they were called Honey Smacks. And we, I, we rarely had that cereal in the house, but I, I loved it. Amen. Um, cartoon. Network. <laughs> um, Wait, are we doing word association? Or- 
No, it's like, yeah, I, re- I recognize the faults of this segment. Right. Um, and, and every episode, I think you're my fourth guest, um, fifth guest. Um, I'm like, here's a thing. But then just kidding, let me further explain right. because this this fucking segment falls flat. Um, so as a latchkey kid, you'd go home and watch and consume and do whatever. Right. Yes. And now we're latchkey kids again. Mm-hmm. So it can either be now or then. Whatever gotcha. floats your boat. Um, so I was a huge fan of um, of Animaniacs. And yes. Yeah. Oh man. And like the I'm I can't believe I'm blanking on like the you know like the little Bugs Bunny one. Um, but they were hilarious. Tiny Tunes. Yes. Um. Jesus. Wow. That's a s- severe brain fart. I mean, as a child, I loved Looney Tunes, and um, uh, I actually like even as like a five year old being babysat over my friend Sarah Clancy's house. Like I was like I like Looney Tunes. Not super into Hanna Barbera. Um. So totally fair. It, uh, but yeah, I was a huge Looney Tunes fan and loved the sort of newer stuff that came out like in the 90s. Like I would come home and go straight to the basement and watch those shows. And my favorite parts of it was they always had like a little Easter egg joke in the credits. Um, and I loved that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite things about like the movie Airplane was all little Easter egg and jokey things. Yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, that's a real sweet spot for me. I loved Animaniacs so much that I wrote the cast a fan letter and they actually, I, I'm sure some assistant just signed in fun, fun little signatures, but uh-huh. I was going through my mom's basement when I was home like a year and a half ago and I found these pinky and the brain glossy eight by 10 to Sarah, love uh-huh. Maurice LaMarche and the other guy whose name is not coming to my head right now. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it was exciting. Oh, I wrote a letter um, when I was five or six. Um, they showed the movie uh, Herb. They showed one of the Herbie the Love Bug things on on TV, and I thought it was a TV show. So you know, same time next week, I turned on the TV and it wasn't on, and I was very upset. And my father, instead of explaining that it was a movie that they had shown this one time, said, "Oh, they must have canceled that show." And I said. Who would do that? And he said, the president. So I wrote a letter to President Reagan asking him to never cancel Herbie again. And I, I did not I did not get an 8 by 10 glossy. That's really disappointing, especially him being an actor and all. Seriously, you'd think. Yeah. Oh, the old Gipper has another fan letter. <laughs> uh, live action show. Um, mm, good question. What did I like watching? I was actually kind of creeped out by a lot of the live action shows that were pitched to children. Like Kids Incorporated made me feel very depressed for some reason. Like I never got into it either. Yeah, there was something about it. I couldn't it even that tell I just, you what I it's about. Like. Um, oh, but I did love um, You Can't Say That on Television. Alanis that show Morissette's. was. Yeah, Alana, like baby Alanis Morissette. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was definitely like an early kind of like comedy influence, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. it was like smart and gross at the same time. Like, yeah. um, and yeah, like many good comedy things, absolutely Canadian. Um, uh, and Always. yeah, that was probably my favorite, like live action show to watch. Although I do <laughs> as a, as a tangent, um, I remember coming home and watching a, uh, um, like an after school special about bulimia, 
And like then thinking there's half of a lemon crunch pie in the fridge. I bet I can house that whole thing and then just do what this bitch did. So I did that and then realized I just do not have it in me to like be bulimic. I'm like, this is way harder than it should be. And I really don't feel like I voided all of that pie and I feel kind of gross. Um, so yeah, not to make light of eating disorders, but like that, that after school special had like the opposite effect on, on me where I was like, ha, that's an option. <laughs> that pie was very good though. Were you really just watching a later episode of Growing Pains? I might have been. It's that's entirely possible. <laughs> you know, the whole Tracy Gold period when she kind of vanished for, I think she went to Paris for a minute. Right. And, uh, no, it's no laughing matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that there was a lot of there was a lot of that floating around. Yeah. It was it was it was trendy. Well, I remember in this in this special, the girl goes in and the doctor hands her a bowling ball and she's and he's like, Tell me when it gets heavy, and she's like, It's heavy now. And he's like, This is as much weight as you're carrying around on you, you know, that it, you need to lose. Uh, which is like, oh my god, that is just shocking by today's standards. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, at home hijinks. I would make myself um, my after this is gross, but my after school snack that I would make was basically the base to lemon bars. If you're sensing a theme here, um, like a shortbread base that I then wouldn't bake. I would just essentially eat a half a stick of sugar flour and confectioner's sugar mixed into a bowl as a snack. I don't know why the fuck my parents were like, we're like why are we always out of butter? What are you doing? Um, I think we're yeah. the same person. Because <laughs> I did a lot of that shit, too. Like, we yeah. got Hershey's maple syrup and uh, Wonder Bread. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's combine fat and sugar in whatever way we can and get it into our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think most of my unsupervised hijinks involved snacks. Um, I was kind of an indoor kid and not like super adventurous. And I was also sca- also was and am scared of ghosts. So I didn't poke around in my house that much because ghosts. Um, I would basically just turn on my best friend, the television, and wait for my parents to come home. Um, but yeah, I really I didn't take advantage of my alone time nearly as much as I as I should have. I wish I could do some sort of effect where the breeze from my closet could make a face appear for you <laughs> to really bring this episode home. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember a commercial for some kind of um, laundry detergent where there was a ghost that would come out of the um, of the washer because it was like odors that your washer couldn't get rid of and you would like open it and a ghost came out and it was very scary. And then she started using this product and you could see the rotor going on the on the washer and the ghost goes, oh, no. Um, I do kind of remember that. It, it <laughs> burned in my brain. Absolutely burned in my brain. I grew up in a apparently haunted house and my mm. mom never told me until we moved, until I, I long lived in New York by this, this until point. Until you but fled? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and years and years later... She's like, oh, yeah, there was occasionally a woman in the hall. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You never told me this? I feel like that's something. As a parent, I understand why she did not disclose that. 
Sure. But as a person who was afraid of ghosts, I think the minute I saw the woman in the hall, I'd be like, we are moving. Gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. I grew up with cats and our cats would kind of, well, this one particular cat would just stare at this wall area. And it's like, isn't she cute and funny? What is she doing? Hardy har har. Yeah. And years later, there's someone, there's someone standing there. We lived in this super old, creepy, fabulous house that I, I like driving by sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I too like um, to drive by the house I, I grew up in. Uh, is it Harriet Beecher Stowe's house? Is that where you grew up? It It is not. Um, although my grandmother, who was a very Blanche Dubois type, dated for a while some descendant of Harriet Beecher Stowe, and we stayed in his rambling, old, ancient, very musty-smelling mansion and the room that I stayed in, I don't know if it was haunted, but there were like bugs in the bed, like those little squirmy bugs that you get when you haven't changed the linen in 200 not years. Not familiar. I'm delighted to say I am not familiar. Um, yeah, it was. I like pulled the sheets back. I'm like, bugs. Um, so yeah, I never got the chance to get to ghosts because I was too freaked out by the bugs. Yeah, fair. Yeah. You got to deal with one terror at a time. Exactly. Um, okay, let's move on to the Latchkey Kids Drama Club, wherein you, my guest, are contractually forced to deliver a dramatic reading of a TV show theme song. Don't tell me what it is. Just launch right into it so I can be filled with glee and delight. All right. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. Am I ready? All right. Here we go. I bet we've been together for a million years. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Oh, it's like I started breathing on the night we kissed, and I can't remember what I ever did before. What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And there ain't no nothing we can't love each other through. What would we do, baby, without us? Shaw, la la la. Sha la la la. <laughs> My husband and I went through a massive '80s sitcom. I I bought the like five dollar package to watch Family Ties back uh-huh. in April. <laughs> um, so good. It Thank you. Kind of, we just watched the pilot the other night because my daughter loves Michael J. Fox, and I was like, "Oh, Family Ties. That's a show I loved when I was a kid. Maybe you will like this." Um, so we watched it, and first of all, she really liked it. Which surprised me because whenever you watch like sitcoms from the 80s, you're like, the pacing is so weird and like it just doesn't feel like a show feels now. It's a play. They're set Uh, up like plays. Exactly. Um, But like, so we watched the first episode and um, Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter are 35 when they filmed that show. 30 fucking five. Like I looked and I'm like, I wonder how old they are. I'm like, oh, they are eight years younger than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Which was uh, very unsettling. I think they were supposed to be playing a few years older than they were, but like, uh, yeah, I, um, no, I found that information insulting. Um, so that's it for me. I mean, do you want to plug all your stuff? Do you want to say where to find you? Sure. Um, I can be found at um, emilyflake.com. Um, I am on Twitter as at emilyflake. I'm on Instagram as at eflakeagogo. 
Um, and yeah, just, you know, uh, stuff that I do, I just generally like, I plug it on the socials, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that and St. Nell's and whatever else. <laughs> find me guys, you know where to find me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for being a part of the, the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Super fun. I'm glad to meet you. I've known, I've known of you for literally years, but, uh, this is, this is exciting for me. Uh, it is also exciting for me. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing this and that like, you know, and that Twitter brought us together. As it always does every, each and every person in my life these days, (laughs) whether that's good or bad. (laughs) Awesome. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much. I'm going to say goodbye in a normal way. Well, bye-bye. Goodbye. And goodbye to you, dear listener. Until next time, thanks for listening to Latchkey Kids. Latchkey Kids is produced by Nightshift Radio, a modern media company specializing in creating and cultivating original podcasts. Our director of content is Michael Feit, which is most definitely not his real name. Our director of operations is Caleb Coy. Kitsy is our director of production with design help from Debbie Bostwick. Find me, Sarah Sweeney, on Twitter at Hey Sarah Sweeney. Shaw. La la la. Are you still here? Jeez. Well, in that case, hit the five-star thing on your podcast app and write a review and tell your friends and call your mom and donate to charity and eat a vegetable. Go play outside. Organize that drawer. Whatever.